0: I'm assuming you know things like this, but I'm going to just uh, say it again. I, I'm, I'm continually blown away by God's ability to <laughs> find ways to just like fine-tune little things. I don't know if you remember this because it's been a little while ago, but uh, we were going through this series that I called Foundations uh, before we had this whole pandemic thing. And in that series of uh, foundations, I spent time, this began last year already at some point, I spent time uh, teaching through uh, two of our foundational documents that we hold as a church, both our statement of theology, what we believe about who God is and who we are and how we relate to God, and also our statement of faith and practice, how we take those things and apply them to our lives, what they have to say about how we live our lives. Um, it, I, by the Lord's leading, I was, uh, typically I would preaching through a book of the Bible when I'm doing this kind of stuff, and, uh, and, and I just sensed the Lord saying, let's take time to do this, and we did, and I got three messages close to the end, and then we had this whole thing called the coronavirus stuff, we all got shut down, we weren't having church, I decided to do something completely different, and wait until we're back for the first Sunday that we have uh, Sunday school and church service, and then we're back together like we are today. And so uh, I, I had planned for several weeks already that assuming we're back in church today as normal that this I'm going to pick up our sermon uh, series on foundations again and over the next three Sundays Lord willing uh, finish them off and as you can well imagine if you see the title for my sermon here today we've come to the section on our statement of faith and practice that's called non-resistance and uh, I don't know if I call it the irony of God or the humor of God or whatever but at any rate I see the Ability for God to finally thread a needle for if you, as you can imagine, uh, my own personal experience this week, this message takes on a whole different, can I say, non-theoretical position. When we left here Wednesday night and I was driving down to my brother's house, I thought to myself, you know, there's a story in the Old Testament. I didn't actually take time to ever even look it up. It's in Genesis somewhere, where this uh, lady, I think her name is uh, Dinah, and uh, she's raped, and her brothers go, and they destroy an entire village to pay them back for what they did to their sister. And I thought to myself, these are confessions of a Mennonite pastor, and I thought to myself, I think I understand why they did that. And certainly as I was uh, moving, not just thinking of my own personal situation, but as I'm thinking of our world situation, or maybe I should say world, although it is uh, somewhat across the world, but certainly our national situation here, uh, I, I can think of no topic perhaps that is more suited or more necessary to talk about than this. You may think there's lots of other things to talk about, and I, I, maybe I won't stake my entire message on the fact that this is the most important thing we could talk about. However, this is a distinctive that very few other faith traditions carry or talk about, this idea of non-resistance. And quite frankly, if I can be so bold to say, I'm not so sure that we in the Mennonite world are, in the, in the conservative in our circles, are doing a very good job of staying uh, real, real tucked into this, this, uh, this, this, this uh, idea of non-resistance. I've probably had uh, more conversations in the last uh, well the last decade, my time of being a senior pastor I've probably had more conversations uh, disagreements, if you want to put it that way or discussions about uh, about uh, things that people don't agree with of our, of our theology or of what we do or what we think or what we live out, try to live out uh, on, on, on this topic and non resistance than any other topic that we have have talked about. There's a few other close in fact next week we'll get to one that also apparently I saved all the hot button issues till the very end but uh, um, I didn't decide that. It's just that's how our statement of faith and practice read. I just am walking through it. And I want to say up front that uh, uh, maybe in some cases that uh, this whole idea of non-resistance, we've maybe lost sight of exactly how that's applied and uh, what that exactly means. And certainly I would uh, be uh, quite up front to say that I think there's been perversions of this among the Mennonite church, in the Mennonite church, of what this doctrine actually really is about. At the same time, I won't back away from the fact that I think in many ways it's one of the things uh, that we have walked away from in some respects, and maybe I haven't understood, and my aim today is to help us understand that I will tell you, I think that this is very clearly taught in the New Testament. You may say, oh, how can you say that? And I will tell you, I also want to say up front, I can tell you that because I think we have erred in thinking that there are specific exceptions that we can dig into or things we can find and say well what about this and I want to return us to the fact that we don't make decisions on how we live our lives based on the exceptions. You can always find exceptions. I hope you know that not just with this issue but we spend far too much of our time trying to find a justification for why I in my specific situation can go against the teaching of scripture. I let that sink in just for a moment. I think we fend- spend far too much time All of us spend far too much time justifying why individually I can go against, in my situation, against what Scripture teaches, just because it doesn't, I I don't want to, or I can make this reason, I can find why it doesn't work for me. It's maybe true for everyone else, but for me it doesn't work. I would tell you that is the humanistic uh, uh, teaching of the culture around us, infiltrating us, not the Word of God and His Holy Spirit in us, and going the other direction. Let me just uh, set the stage here before I even come to any any other slide here. I want to I want to read what I think is uh, sort of foundation base layer. Uh, what I want to frame for us today is why I can talk about non-resistance and tell you without without uh, without shrinking back and saying, I think this is very clearly taught in the New Testament. Actually, in all the Scripture, I think it's what God wants from us, but uh, we can have discussions about that. Uh, If you would open your Bibles, I have a lot of Scripture to read today, and I'd love to have you follow along. I think it's a very important practice, Uh, not only that you should hear the Word of God coming out of my mouth and being read to you and and, and being taught, but I think you should be involved in actually opening your Bible and reading it with me uh, so that you can see what those words are. I want to just start this morning in Philippians chapter 2, these are very familiar words, but they set the stage for what we're going to talk about. They, they illustrate what I think is the uh, underlying attitude, which leads the way to say, I believe we should uh, be non-resistant in our lifestyle. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if you have received any of those things from being, uh, from being in Christ, from, from having God's love shown on you, from, uh, from joining yourself to the Holy Spirit, if you have experienced any of that, Paul says in verse 2 complete my joy by being, out, by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's talking to believers, to people with each other. Do nothing, he says in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. By the way, just as a general, uh, basic, underlying, ethic attitude, uh, this would solve so many problems, not just in our our country, but in our own personal lives if we would actually live out verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. My children are probably tired of hearing me say those things when they come to me with a squabble of something about who wouldn't give up and who wouldn't let go and who had it first. And I uh, uh, somewhat tirelessly, sometimes I get tired of doing it, I guess, but sometimes tirelessly remind them that they should, in fact, according to Scripture, uh, consider others more significant than themselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or in some translations, it even leads us to say that we should have the mind of Christ, which he does go ahead and explain what that is in verse 6. Who, this was Jesus' mindset, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming Obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Brothers and sisters, friends, can I tell you this morning that the underlying um, attitude or belief or application of a a doctrine of non-resistance or an application of non-resistance in our lives has to come from this basic foundational thing. Jesus himself, who was God, did not think it worthy to hang on to that, to to say, this is who I am. This is my right. If I could use a a buzzword from our culture today, this is my right, and I deserve this. I demand this. Uh, You have no right to take this away from me. He did not hang on to that, but he emptied himself for other people's sakes, and that to me, lays the foundation for why I can tell you, and our statement of faith and practice says, that we believe that Jesus' teaching of non-resistance is the standard for believers in the church age. I think you should know that we are in the minority in that, by the way. You probably do already know that. I also just would like to encourage you to realize or to think about the fact that it is probably primarily because we are in the minority that it's such a hard thing for us to hang on to because we get a lot of pressure from a lot of other ways, and we see how the rest of the world acts, and we often many times see how other believers act and say, well, certainly if all that's going on, how can we have any different position? Why, why, why is this so important? I think you'll find as we go through, and I have, I had some individual conversations with many of you about this, that perhaps uh, what you're going to hear, what you think you're going to hear may not exactly be what you, uh, what, what's going to come out, or what you, what my stance is on this, But let me just uh, let the word of God do the talking here and not myself. We said we believe that Jesus' teaching of non-resistance is to be the standard. So I think it would behoove us to say, what was Jesus' teaching?" what is this Jesus teaching we're referring to? Because if we're, st- we're basing something that uh, is, we're supposed to live our life by, and in fact is maybe a bit uh, contrary to what most other people live their lives by, then what do we have to stand on? So uh, if you would now flip back in your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to just go to the place that we call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's the, it's the longest section, continuous section, I think if I'm saying this right, of Jesus' recorded teaching. Now there's lots of other teachings sprinkled in there. You read about this in different Gospels, but here's the sort of the longest put together section in Matthew chapter 5 I want to go to the beginning of that and just read uh, what Jesus said as he's opening up he says they gathered around him or he gathered them around them and he opened his mouth and he taught them and here's where he began in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 let's listen to these qualities that he talks about that are people that are blessed blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth Notice he switches now. He's been saying those, 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 those. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I would encourage you this morning to look at that list and we can apply this list in many ways and it, it does apply to many things. This is not the only focus of, of this list of, of what we call the Beatitudes. But certainly if you're willing to and you think about what non-resistance is all about, I think you see it pop up in many of these uh, blessings that Jesus speaks. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart. He comes right out and says, those who are peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Those who have been uh, falsely accused of evil when it's not true, and they are persecuted, they suffer because of that, all of those things. But He goes on to say some more things, but before I show you that, I want to reach back, because often we have this discussion about Old Testament versus New Testament, and I'm not, I, I just want to pull one verse out, because I want you to know that Jesus' teaching is not just, you know, pulled out of random, you know, he decided, well, I'm going to do this whole new thing, and I'm going to teach you some stuff that you've never heard of before. When God gave the Levitical law to the people of Israel, do you know all the way back in Leviticus 19, 18, he says this, You shall not take vengeance or bury grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall not take vengeance or bury grudge against sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he reminds us why he has the weight and the ability to tell us what we shall not do. I am the Lord. Now, if you have ever discovered this pattern in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes things that they were familiar with, and he says, you've heard it like this, and and many of those things were things applied sort of, if you will, if you think about it this way, on sort of this level, and Jesus says, I am going to tell you, by the way, that when God gave you those laws, he was giving those things to sinful people, and he knew what a struggle was going to be keep. But if you really want to know the heart of God, it goes even beyond that it gets, if you want to say it this way, it gets even ratcheted up even more. You see it with lots of things, right? You know, you've said that uh, you shouldn't commit adultery, but I tell you, you shouldn't even look at a woman with lust. You've heard it said that you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't murder, but I tell you, if you even get angry at someone, then you're guilty of the same. And he does the same here. He takes this command I just put up here, that you should not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people and like all humanity they probably took that as a license to say well if they're like me then I don't I shouldn't do this but anybody else I can right and he says in verse 38 of Matthew chapter 5, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles, give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard it said, he goes right on, I'm just going to keep on reading, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You see, See what he's referring to? You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, let me just put this verse up here because I didn't flip to it right there when I was reading it. But he says very specifically, this is, you know, nowhere, you might point out to me, nowhere in all that I am reading does this use the word non-resistance. And I would say you're correct. I think it gets fairly close here because he says, I say to you, do not resist, which sounds a lot like non-resistance to me. Do not resist the one who is evil. Jesus, again, takes it a step beyond uh, what we sort of said, oh, that feels about right. You know, be nice to those people who are nice to you. There's people that are like you, that you get along with. You know, they make mistakes sometimes. Give them grace. Don't bear a grudge. You know, uh, uh, you know don't, don't make them pay. Give them, that's, give them grace. Love them. Love your neighbors. But, you know, there's there are people that are really different than me. There's people that are really unkind to me. There's people that really hurt me. Those people, you know, I didn't say anything about that. And Jesus says, "Hold on, you have heard it said, but I say to you, this goes above and beyond." Notice the comparison he's making at the last part of the section I read. He said, "Listen, if you love those who love you, how is that different from tax collectors? If you're kind to those who are kind to you, if you greet those who as bro- only your brothers, what more are you doing than the Gentiles?" And I submit to you, he's making the exact point that I want to make here with non-resistance. He's saying, listen, you, if you're following God sincerely, you are called to rise above and be more or different than what everyone else already does. And in this doctrine of non-resistance, I believe it should never, ever, ever be an option for us to say, well, look what everyone else is doing. It must be okay. Because he answers that so clearly right here. It's not about what everyone else is doing. I believe you're called to something greater. And when you're following me, if you do just what everyone else does, what's that, how is that any different? But you are called to something greater. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, by the way, before we get all up in arms and you want to say, but, but, nobody's perfect, you all of that, I just wonder why do we not ever have these discussions about lust? Well, I mean, yeah, Jesus said you should not commit adultery, and, but if you have lust in your heart, it's really wrong. But I think it's okay. You know, he really just meant that, like, really the adultery thing. Why don't we have big discussions about I, I think, I mean, if I'm reading this correctly, it's in the exact same, like, passage of Scripture, the exact same. I mean, you could read some other ones here yet. Giving to the needy, fasting, laying up treasures in heaven, don't be anxious. Why are we having big discussions about, well, he didn't really mean that. Nobody else, the world doesn't do that. The world doesn't give to the needy. They don't, they don't fast. They don't, they don't care about lust. They don't care about adultery. We don't use that as an excuse for anything else. Even other believers, sometimes other churches, are a lot more free with this kind of stuff. And yet we've allowed ourselves to do it with this issue. By the way, I talked about the Lord's Prayer, and I want to again just point to us something that I think is really foundational in what Jesus is trying to get at, and what I think is the key to us understanding why non-resistance is the teaching, the standard for the New Testament believer. When Jesus taught them how to pray, you all know this, right? You probably could quote it with me if you, and you're welcome to if you want to. When they said, teach us to pray, he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, he said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And again, depending on what translation you're reading, it has the added and we all are very familiar with for yours is the kingdom thine is the kingdom the glory the power forever but then he goes on in verse 14 he adds one more one more statement at the end of this prayer for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses let me ask you something we are all well familiar with teaching on forgiveness right like we know that the Bible talks about forgiveness. We know Jesus says you should forgive. That's something we're all well familiar with. I'd invite you to consider the what I would present to you the impossibility of reconciling a practice or a faith that says I can take vengeance, I can pay back, I can defend my rights, I can get back at people who've hurt me with the idea that we should forgive. How can those two coexist? How can you on one hand say Jesus clearly teaches I should forgive but on the other hand you know what when they did that to me that was too much and they have to pay and I'm going to make them pay for it. I have stuff I have my, my, I have my character I have my people I have whatever it is to defend and that's too much I can't bear that. How can those come together? How can we take this and Jesus says you forgive people their trespasses and if you don't What does it say? And if you don't, how can you take that and then say, but I don't believe in non-resistance? Forgiveness is the epitome of non-resistance. It really is. It is is the depth of it, the down deep to say, I know this was done to me, and this wrecked me, and this destroyed me, and this took those I love, and this was unfair, and it was unjust, and it was all of those things, but I choose to forgive because that's what Jesus taught me to do because that's what Jesus did himself. That is the epitome of non-resistance. I don't think you can in good conscience say, I believe Jesus calls me to forgive people, and then say, but I'm not non-resistant. Out of the things that Jesus taught, I want us to see that the New Testament writers picked these themes up and mentioned a few things of application, so I just want to read them for us this morning. Uh, turn now to First Corinthians chapter 6. By the way, I didn't say this up front. I apologize. We're back to where we have bulletins in your hand. I hope you know this. There's a handout on the back side of the bulletin. has all the scripture I'm using. It has a place for you to take notes if you want to jot stuff down, if that's something you do. I should have told you that at the beginning. I'm sorry. Not only are you out of practice, I'm out of practice here with this kind of stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes these words. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law, go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but brother goes to law against the brother and that before unbelievers? Now listen, I want to stop for a little bit before I go on. Paul is making this case with them. He's saying, listen, if you have something between you among believers, something that you, that you're, that has come up, I I would tell you maybe a situation that requires forgiveness, right? Some kind of hurt or some kind of something that happened. If you have that, And he's saying, this is, this is shameful. You're going before the secular courts of law to get that stuff straightened out. And that shouldn't be, listen, we as brothers and sisters, he goes to, I mean, listen, look at some of the things he says. You're going to be judging things far greater than these things pertaining to this life. Why can't you take care of it? Is there no one wise enough among you to take care of it yourself? Why can't you settle it uh, among among yourself, among believers? That's what he's saying so far. But catch what he says in the very next verse, verse 7. To have lawsuits at all with another is already a defeat for you. To have lawsuits at all with another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. You see, and I think we see Paul here clearly making a case... Like, there are things that need to be judged, and you should do it um, in the church, not out there, if you you at all can. However, I have an even greater issue. I'm telling you about this, and I'm telling you that it's not how it should be, but I have an even greater issue, because if we would capture the heart and the mind of Jesus Christ as represented in Philippians chapter 2, why not rather be wronged? Why not prefer others as more significant as yourself? He says, you've already lost. If you're defending your own ego, character, person, hurt, stuff, rights, things, you've already lost. You've already lost. We read similar kinds of words to what Jesus taught when Paul wrote to the Romans. This is in Romans chapter 12. I invite you to turn there. Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. This is a fantastic set of verses that really talks about a lot more than just this doctrine of non-resistance, but certainly non-resistance pops up in here. In verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with you all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The thrust of all of this is when someone hurts you, it is not your job to make it right with them. In fact, he goes so far as to say, you also aren't called to just lie idly by and say, well, that's unfortunate. But he says, you can overcome evil with good, by doing good. Look at the verse I put up there. I, again, I tell you if there's a verse that if we would sincerely apply in our lives, it would dramatically change our world, our, 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 our church world, certainly, our families. Our, our, it would dramatically change, probably the broader world around us, too. If possible, so far as it depends on you, I know it doesn't always happen, but I also know if we're honest with ourselves that we're often just as much at fault for the strife that happens as the other side is. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Again, Peter picked up those two references I read from Paul, so i want to get a verse from Peter in there because Peter also took Jesus' teaching and said, hey, this is what this means. These are words that, uh, uh, boy, I have, I've spent time with them and I have... I have uh, uh, love them, and have, they've spoken to me many times. And this week, it has just come, like I said, in much clearer context. This is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 to 25, if I get there. Now, he jumps in. I'm going to jump in the middle there in verse 20. He says, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? In other words, if you're getting punished and, and your life is going sideways and things are piling up on you and, and things are not going well and there's a lot of pain in your life, if it's because of sin in your life, and you endure, that actually is not any credit to you at all. That doesn't benefit you at all. Don't suffer because of sin. He doesn't say it right there, but I would tell you, Jesus came to take away the suffering because of sin. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing. If when you do good and you suffer for that, this is, and you endure through that, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And here is Christ's example. This, I can tell you again, gives us, I think, very, very clearly what I would tell you is the doctrine of non-resistance. What he means by that last part is Jesus paid for your wrongdoing. You also were straying. You've come back now, and now you are to follow the way of the master, the way of the one who gave his life for you, the way of the one who healed you. And this was his way. Though he was perfect, though he did not commit any sin, though of anybody, can I just say this? I know things are really unjust sometimes in our lives, and they really are. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. Life isn't fair. I'm sure you heard it from your mom many times growing up. It's not fair. There's injustice all over the place. But can I remind us that every one of us is sinful. Every one of us has fallen short of God's glory. And because of that, every one of us in some way, uh, if I could use his words, deserves the suffering according of, because of sin. Maybe not the specific act that if something happened to you. I, I'm, not, I'm not quibbling with that. But at some level, every one of us, if we're believers, have to have reconciled the fact that I deserve to die and Jesus took my place. Of any person you could ever look at, Jesus is the only one who did not deserve to suffer because of sin. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. If that is true, friends... I don't think this is a a logical stretch. We want to explain it away. We want to justify it. We want to do everything else. But if that is true, that Jesus, who deserved none of it, who was the only person to ever really, truly have the right to stand up in front of the whole world and say, you can't do this. I am completely innocent. He's the only one that's ever had that right. And he chose to say, I will not revile in return. I will not threaten, but I will entrust myself to him who judges justly. I don't see how we can find any other path or course of action for our own selves and say that must be Jesus' way. I want us to pay attention. I want, to fit, well, before, I want to finish the rest of our statement. I don't know if you've been looking at the statement of faith and practice. I'm guessing today you didn't. It's really only these couple lines. This is the rest of it. I, I've put in non-resistance since I broke up the statement, but it doesn't, say, it doesn't say that word. It just says this includes. Non-resistance includes not only our relationship to the state and military, which is typically the only place we're talking about this, which I think is such a shame because it's much broader. It's much more deeply defined. It's much more part of who we are than for, in, case, in most of our cases than the state or military. But it also, uh, this non-resistance is, includes, or, or is about the fact that our legal, financial, and social relationships should be based on love, justice, and peace. I'm going to make two comments about that. The first is, I have seen in my experience, and I am not going to claim that I'm not guilty of the same thing. I've had the same stuff happen in my life. I, I'm guilty of it, as, as, as are all of us. But I have seen far more non-resistant behavior among people who claim to be non-resistant then I would qualify as saying that, I mean, that, that went into the army and that was a big deal. And I mean by that the way we treat each other, the passive-aggressive behavior we often have towards each other, the ability we have to look at each other and, and smile and be nice and turn around and talk behind that person uh, behind their back and speak ill of them or to gossip about them or to say things that really we have no business of saying. Or the way that we have used our uh, financial status or resources to provide us leverage in situations or perhaps with the way we've used our good name that we've managed to raise up because we're good hard workers to leverage our situations all of these to me fall into the category of non-resistant and in fact not being non-resistant of being exactly against what Jesus is teaching I would suggest to us that we should be a I mean, okay, I, let me finish my statement. I would suggest to us that we should be a lot more concerned about whether we are non-resistant in our daily lives with our families, our wives, our husbands, our children, our, our, our neighbors, our church, people We go to church, far more concerned about whether we are non-resistant in our daily lives than we should about whether we should go uh, join the army or not. And that's not, saying I don't, I, whether I, I, that's not saying I believe you should go join the army, by the way. It's saying I think that is a little piece down here that if we have gotten non-resistance right, I don't think it'll be an option. We're fighting the wrong battle, if, if I can just put it that way. We're fighting the wrong battle if that's the only thing we're focusing on. Let me say that. Let me also say this. You look at this line I just said, that we believe that everything about our relationships should be based on love and justice and peace. And I want to make a statement about the fact that uh, this does in no way mean that we're okay with injustice. I think every one of us should be appalled that, if, if I can say this, that our police officers use unnecessary force, and it takes lives of people. I think we should be appalled by that. I think it's unjust. I also think we should be appalled by how we as humans have responded to that, in many cases, with further injustice. What I mean to say by this is, this doesn't mean... Uh, you know the, the meek inherit the earth this doesn't mean that we lie idly by and say well I can't take I can't do anything about it because Jesus said you know when you're reviled when you're threatened you can't I, I, don't, I don't mean I mean you can't seek justice you, you can't take it upon yourself to pay that person back but you know you have this incredible avenue of prayer with your father and let me point you to, to, the, to, the, to the Psalms because David was a man in the Old Testament who exemplified a lot of non-resistant behavior did you ever think about that in his relationship with Saul who was the king he displayed incredible non-resistant tendencies multiple times he had the ability and in fact was encouraged to kill him because Saul was trying to kill him and and according to human logic and reasoning would have had every right to do exactly that and he refrained did David lie idly by and say well I guess God doesn't want this and nothing's happening I suggest you read the Psalms and he did not Many psalms are filled with David going to God and pouring his heart out and saying, God, this is not fair. God, this is not just. God, they're pursuing me. They want to kill me. I did nothing wrong. Why is it like this? God, you got to do something about this. And I suggest this is the response that we are missing as believers. We think it's either a we fight back or we do nothing. And I say both are wrong. We cry out to God and say, it is not ours to get back at those people, but it is ours to go to the Father and plead for him, for it is his to bring justice. We should be very much against injustice, friends, very much, in in all ways. But it is not ours to take that. It is ours to go to God and and cry out to him and say, God, you have got to pay attention, and you have got to fix and change and bring about what you want in this, because this is not fair. There may be some of us here who really chafe at some kind of stuff like this because it makes us, certainly for guys, it makes us feel like we're stripping away all the things that God gave us to do to stand up and be the protectors and be the, be the defenders of our family and the defenders of our country and the, all this stuff. There are a few references in Scripture about things that we should resist. I'd like to give them to you this morning. If you want to be part of a resistance movement, if you would like to be a resistor, I would encourage you, in fact, should be and can be. Just make sure it's in the right context. James 4, 7 says you should submit yourself to God. You should resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you want to resist, you should resist the devil. Peter again picks up that same thread. He talks about Satan who's prowling around like a roaring lion wanting to destroy people. And he says resist him. Resist Satan, firm in your faith, knowing that, all, that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world same theme you want to resist friends brothers sisters there's plenty to resist there's a person uh, the being of satan and he is to be resisted with all of our strength this doesn't make us wimps it means we change our battle we change our battle plan ephesians chapter uh six picks up again the same kind of theme i would like to read some verses from there i'm gonna flip there so i can read them Ephesians chapter 6 says, Finally be strong in the Lord. In verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. That word that's in there several times, to withstand, to stand firm, those are words of resistance. That's the word. The same word that's translated as resistance, resisting the devil. We are in a battle. We are in a fight. It is not against flesh and blood. It is against the enemy, and we should resist him. In fact, I should tell you, I can tell you that we should have our hands so full and our time so full spent resisting him, we have no time left to resist those around us who may be stepping on our toes, who may be uh, uh, hurting our dignity or stepping on our ego or, or saying things against our character or taking things that are ours or stepping on our rights or doing all kinds of things that we think we have a right to defend. If you want to resist, that's who you should resist. And there's a few verses that talk about those weapons. In fact, I'm going to stay right in this passage. What are our weapons if we want to fight? What are our weapons? Verse 14, he goes right on. Let me just keep on reading. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Remember, you're resisting him. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I highlighted to you this morning what I think is the most important weapon as we look at our world around us of injustice. As I wrestle with personally of uh, the great injustice that's happened to my own family this week, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. I stood here before you this morning and I did not lie and tell you uh, any untruth. I have no idea how to proceed through what lays before me. But I have inside of me a confidence That I have a connection with the one who knows the beginning from the end. And he knows which path to take and how to go. And I will make no claim that I will walk it perfectly. In fact, I will be up front and tell you I probably will not. I probably will make some mistakes. Not probably. I will make some mistakes. I make them all the time. But I know that he's given me weapons to fight. To resist the one who needs to be resisted. It's not Jalen, by the way. He's not the one that needs to be resisted. It's the enemy of our souls who seeks to kill, maim, destroy, rob us of our life that needs to be resisted. Paul spoke of these same weapons or of what these weapons might be, and I just want to read those from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. This is verse 3 of chapter 10, 2 Corinthians. Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. God has given us weapons, weapons to resist, weapons weapons of fighting. He has given us those weapons. They destroy strongholds. He tells us, by the way, what those strongholds are. Pay careful attention. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Did you catch what those weapons are and what they do, what they're there for? They're not there to destroy people. They're not there to get back. They're not there to protect yourself. They are there to tear down every argument and lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God. When we think something wrongly about who God is or who we are or what we should be doing or what he's doing, those arguments and lofty opinions are torn down by the spiritual weapons that God has given us. By the way, Paul says this just a couple of chapters earlier in chapter uh, 6 of 2 Corinthians. He's going on and he's telling them how, what great lengths he went to to bring the gospel to them. And he says something interesting in verse 7 of chapter 6. He says that he's, as he's conveying to them uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, he did so by truthful speech in verse 7 and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left with the weapons of righteousness for, the right, for his right hand and for his left. Can I tell you, uh, particularly uh, young men, all men, I guess, but young, can I tell you, I think there is within us the inborn desire from God to fight and to be, uh, to, to be the defenders. But can I tell you, let's make sure we pick up the right weapons. He says we have incredibly powerful weapons. They are weapons of righteousness to be right before God, to be pure and right before God is the greatest weapon you and I could ever wield because it gives the enemy no ground against us. It means that we can truly do as Jesus did when they speak slander against us for our good that we have done, that we can say, I will entrust myself to him who judges justly. I don't have to pay them back for that because I know there's no truth to what they say because I'm right with God. And in the end, That's what matters more than anything else. I see far too many of us picking up all kinds of other weapons and far too few of us picking up the weapons of righteousness. I want to go back to Matthew chapter 5. It's time to wrap this up. You've bore patiently with me today. right after Jesus gives what we call the beatitudes he gives these verses that we are very familiar with i want to offer them as a conclusion to the message today what i think again i hope you understand now why i can say very clearly i think this is so clearly taught in scripture but he says in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5 to us to his followers you are the light sorry you are the salt of the earth Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, these verses can be applied to lots of things in our Christian life, no question, and they ought to be. Many things we could point out and say, this is how we live according to Jesus, uh, following Jesus, and, and in that way, we are salt of the earth. We are light. Uh, We're the light of the world. It should be applied, but I can find few things that in our current culture around us uh, need as, uh, that this fits as well as as this topic of non-resistance. If I, in fact, am making a a a uh, suggestion to you that it is this doctrine of non-resistance that sets us apart from how the rest of the world uh, wants to behave and act and how they do actually behave and act, then these words could be no clearer than what Jesus is saying. In this, you are the salt of the earth. You are to be different than those around you. You are to be a cut above. You are called to a higher standard. And if the salt loses it's taste, it's flavor, it's saltiness. It is no longer good for anything. You are the light of the world. You don't put that light under a lamp so no one can see it, but you let that light shine so that people can see that you are different. And I can I just make sure one more time you hear the point? There may be very few areas that we are different from the rest of the world that stand out more than this area right here that we refuse to defend our rights and say, no, this is mine, and you can't have it, and I will fight you for it tooth and nail. And instead we say, I have weapons of righteousness. I will do good. And if you revile me, I entrust myself to the one who judges justly. And I cry out to him, for it is his to take vengeance, not mine. That, friends, is what it means to be non-resistant. In every part of our lives, this is what it means. The insult, the slight, the ignoring, the slur, the offense, the physical violence, the defamation of character, whatever you, whatever you put, want to put to that name that's happened to you, I believe Jesus teaches us that to follow him means... We will not take vengeance. But we will entrust ourselves to God and say, That's yours to do God. And I will let you do that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word this morning. I want to be the first among any who might be saying this. This is really difficult. There's lots of things in your word that are really difficult to live out. That's no that's no question. And this is one of those. Yet it doesn't change what your word says. Doesn't change how clearly we can see that you call us to a different way of life than what the rest of the world does. And we this morning, God, I this morning, oh, I I need this so much myself, God. I this morning want to tell you, I not only understand it that way, but I believe that and I want to be led in that. And I know I need your grace in my life to do that. For my flesh wants to get even my flesh wants to pay back. My flesh wants to put the hurt on people when they step on my toes and when they do something to people I love. But you've said the flesh will die, should die, should be crucified, and a new life comes out of that, a new man created in the image and likeness of my Savior. Jesus, you walked this path. You know all about it. You know that perhaps more than any other thing, how the difficulty, the great difficulty of being so right and yet being accused of wrong. The reality is, God, many times we're not in that great position of rightness. We ourselves have issues and have things we've done and know that we haven't always got it right. Even when we're, even when we're so vehemently protecting ourselves and so vehemently protecting those we love, we know that there's truth, some truth in this. But Jesus, you've read, led the way in demonstrating that even when you were completely right. And they accuse you of wrong. You didn't give in to the temptation to say, I will prove to you. I will make you pay. I will get back at you. You said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus, would you offer your grace today to us? Just in a very real way that if there's any person that we are holding a grudge against this morning, if there's anything where we are plotting vengeance, if there's anybody that we still just can't let go of this hurt, that we say, oh God, forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. I'm so grateful, Jesus, that I can declare firmly and with certainty that according to Scripture, you already paid for all of those sins. So I don't actually have to carry it or bear bear that burden. We give it to you. Thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.